Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, boy, yes, what, a, what a long vacation. Oh, man, I had a ball. I had an absolute ball. Well, good, good. i tell you what, tonight's show is a touching show. It's uh, We're going to talk about foster, uh, foster kids and foster care, and uh, you know how that is. Oh yes, yes. You, you know, you I've know, been right. You've been I've involved been in, in it with foster foster kids for quite a while now, directly and indirectly. So mm-hmm. I do know about that, and I know how important it is. You know, even as a child, I I've known people who were foster parents who were foster children, and so yeah. I do know how important and just how serious an issue it is for people who are involved in affiliated with foster care. Yes, yes, and Brian, our guest tonight, oh boy, I tell you what, uh, a lot of people will be blessed by her. Yes, yes. And and I'll say a lot of people are going to learn a lot of things about her that they never knew. Mm-hmm. She's more than just a pretty face and an actress that you, know, you see on television with all the, the glamour and the glitz. It's more than that. It's something else uh, that was pushing her, Brian. Yes, yes. And, Greg, I'm going to go ahead and get her uh, on the line. So if you just give the uh, give everybody some insight on who our special guest is tonight. No, I don't want to do that. I'm going to you wait. Do that yet. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you do that. That's your thing. But I can definitely <laughs> talk about <laughs> I can definitely talk about our guest. But you go ahead and you bring her in. Okay. Stand by. Yes. Right now, we, we have a caller uh, from the 770 area code. I'm going to go to her right now. Caller, are you there? It's Dee Stewart. Dee. Hey. How are you? Good. Yes, I wanted to go to you really quick because we know that our guest is coming on in a few minutes, and yeah. it's going to be a powerful show. And when you saw who our guest was, I know you, I don't want you to give it out just now. I think everybody knows who's coming on, but when you saw uh, who we were going to have on the show, what did you think? I got excited. <laughs> I guess everybody did, but you know what? Did did you know that she was raised in foster care? Yes, I've read the book, and I wow. had been thinking about um, being a foster parent right. or adopting myself. Uh-huh. So that's um, like right up my alley. So. Well, you know, Brian and I, we do a lot with kids in the detention centers and kids in group homes and foster care. It is... Uh, a different kind of uh, uh, how do I say it without being um, sounding <laughs> sounding too mean or too tough, but it's it perfect. is a system that you don't want any child to be in. I'll just say it like that. Until you go in there and you see how these kids are treated, mm-hmm. not all of them now, not all the time, not all the time. I, I won't say that about all of them, but it is a system that's tough. It's uh, and for you to D for you to want to adopt, that means you must have a, a a love for children and a love for someone being able to uh, just flourish and have the ability to 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 be what God created them to be. Well, thanks. I have a cousin. I had a cousin who um, our family. She was adopted into the family, and one of my best cousins. She passed two years wow. ago from complications at pregnancy. But um, after, you know, growing up with her, I had always had it in the back of my mind. And since now, um, I don't want to. And I've, I also had a friend in college who who grew up and uh, became a ward of the state. Wow. And so, um, and, and so I've heard, um, I've seen some, um, we've had some fam- uh foster care um, kids come through the family 
didn't do, you know, was couldn't, they just couldn't get out of whatever whatever happened to them. And it's right. hard. It's um, right. hard to be a, a foster care parent. It's hard for a, a kid. And I wanted to, you know, find out information how can it be successful because I hear right. so many bad stories and people tell me no, not to do it. And well, I tell you what, D. You just just hold on a few minutes. We're going to bring our guest in, and we'll. I'm going to come back to you, and uh, I, I want to bring Brian back in. Brian, are you there? Yes, I am here. Yes, okay. I tell you what, Brian. Tonight's show is going to be touching. Like I said before, a lot of people are going to learn a lot from our special guest tonight. Uh, like I said before, yes. she's more than an actress, and uh, I tell you what, Brian, she's doing some wonderful things. Absolutely, absolutely. And tonight's guest is Victoria Royal, and she's the versatile actress of daytime, primetime, and feature films. And she's known around the world as the fiery Lucilla Winters <laughs> on CBS, CBS's highly rated daytime series, The Young and the Restless. She's yeah. also the author of the book, The Women Who Raised Me. And she's celebrating the role models in her life. And I'd like to introduce her now. Are you there, Miss Royal? I sure am, and I just want to thank everybody there at the station and everyone who has purchased the book because it got on the New York Times bestseller list and it's now in paperback. So I just want to thank everybody. Yes, Ms. Riley, this is Yes, Ms. Riley, this is Greg Turner. I, Hi, I Greg. What, Hi, I tell you what, you're doing some amazing things. And when I went on your site, victoriarylel.com, yeah. I, I saw so much. I saw just so much and I learned so much about you. Mm. And it was my first time. I didn't know that you were uh, raised in a foster home, and I, and I also read that the part about the foundation that you've created. Yes. And yes, we, we, I started uh, back in '90 formulating um, a charity that really was a template of what was offered to me growing up in foster care for the 18 years, which was a wim- women banded together. They didn't initially know each other. That means the social workers and the ballet teacher and my foster parents, and they worked together and my foster mother's family to make sure that I got a scholarship, they found a way to get me to ballet classes, and I offered that to the children both in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I studied as a child, and then, of course, in Los Angeles, where I live. And we provide fine arts scholarships, drama, music, dance, and also stipends for our youth, both in foster care and adopted, um, to attend college. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. wow, that's awesome. You know, Ms. Roel, we, uh, Greg and I, we go around and we talk with youth from all walks of life, and me myself have had foster children live in my home as well as I've been a what's called a foster uh, foster parent babysitter, so to speak where I would uh, assist my mother-in-law who had foster care, mm-hmm. who was, uh, had foster children. She may have fostered about, I would say, about close to 50, 60 kids wow. in the past 10 years. And so I've been heavily involved in the foster parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, in your experience in foster care, what was it like? Well, that's a big, <laughs> big question. Um, it continues to be like that because... Once a foster child, um, you are indoctrinated in an alum of 12 million people. Mm. Um, That is the registered number right now, and so it's a very big population of of people. And I've never left um, that part of my life because I understand that that is the cornerstone of who I am and my strengths. My journey was very... Uh, enriching as it was challenging Um, and I imagine that that is the case with most foster children even if you are given the best of circumstances in that scenario Mm -hmm. Um, so I wrote about it because it was very circuitous and it's very complicated and there's no short answer except that it was so um, multifaceted I thought it warranted being made into a book, and um, I did the right thing because America, not only America, I've been to India and back with a book, mm-hmm. and um, just got back from St. Lucia and St. Thomas and um, plan to be in other parts of the world this year with the book. Um, people want to read about the heroes 
like your mother um, and like yourself, who did the excellent work in raising other people's children. We keep hearing about the negative and see those headlines in the newspapers and in the news, but people want to read about the millions of people who did the job well. Right. We want to read about the, grand, the foster grandparents out there raising a second generation of children due to their own children, um, their first generation of children who have succumbed to crack cocaine or methamphetamine addiction. So they're raising a second generation of children. Mm-hmm. We want to hear about the grandparents out there that are spending their Social Security checks on diapers and formula and not on their medication, and they're dying trying. It's a real mm-hmm. pandemic. I tell yes, you I what, I agree. Yes, I, I applaud you for for what you're doing. And Brian and I, we've been brainstorming on what we can do on our end to try to pull some of the kids out of that system. Right. To uh, not to beat the system up, but to pull them out of that and, and to show them. Um, Sorry about the life. dogs in the back. <laughs> they they want to be on the show. That's all. They want to be on the show. <laughs> but what I was saying. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out what we can do for these kids because we go right. in and we teach abstinence training right now. Mm-hmm. And it is, if, and I'll say to anybody that's listening, please get involved. Volunteer an hour if you can. You will make a difference yeah. because these kids, they, they look for us to come. And when we can't come, it's they're, they're so heartbroken. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, there are. Yes, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say that there are different ways that people can participate. There's court-appointed special advocates where you train, and uh, they're called CASA for sure, CASAs. And they train, they do case study, home studies, and then they bring their findings to the judge. And the judge leans heavily into the findings of a CASA who has been trained and licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another group called, and you can go on to www.casa.com, casa.org, um, and also you can look up Guardian Ad Litem, mm-hmm. and that's another group that uh, is trained, is licensed, and um, it's a real serious commitment of time. It is volunteerism, but very, very important. Um, uh, not everyone can be a foster parent and not everyone can adopt. Uh, let's say you want to be a foster parent, but you can't do it full-time. Well, you can be a respite caregiver. That's somebody who trains, is licensed, and takes a child or sibling groups, especially important to foster care, so we don't break up the children. Um, but they will take a sibling or sibling groups um, for a weekend so that the primary foster family or mother or father can take a rest. And... Uh, some respite caregivers take the children up to um, a week or more um, because we don't want the the 137,000 foster parents we do have to burn out. We have over a half a million children in care right now. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of children and only a little over 130,000 foster parents. Right, right. And, you know, the thing that's just, so compelling is that when you do meet these foster children, they have so many different uh, issues that they're dealing with mentally, physically, you know, emotionally, and you try to do the best you can, but, you know, not everyone is that well equipped. So, you know, what do you think are some of the things that people can do, like people who are foster parents? You know, I know you talked about respite care, you know, that gives them a break, but what are some of the other things? Like, you talked about how your your organization does uh, the arts, and that's a wonderful thing. My children are heavily involved with the arts. They learn violin and dance mm-hmm. in the past and stuff like that. You know, but what are some of the other things that you believe that foster parents can do to give these children a fulfilling life? Because we know that they've been through so much before they actually get to that foster parent. Right. Well, obviously faith. To teach them faith because they are dealing with a very sophisticated set of circumstances. And even though they might have come out of an abusive situation, home is home, and mother and, and, and daddy are who they are. And um, the thing about children is that they're so resilient and so forgiving. And um, they have to be taught that uh, they deserve to be in a safe, healthy, and clean environment, and they are teachable and lovable, and so... Beyond that, of course, 
they need to learn how to have faith in themselves and what that looks like and what that means. And that's one of the biggest gifts. I'm the beneficiary of Agatha Wooten Armstead, who was a great-grandmother when she took me in. And she had already had ten children, and and, uh, she taught me the power of prayer. I mean, to the extent that, you know, I defined what worked for me, but that was a very important piece in my life because when you are in foster care, you find yourself alone a lot. And what are you leaning into? Well, it's easy to lean into the wrong thing. So I want to say that that was very important to me, and she taught me discipline. I mean, we were farmers. She was a black farmer, and we really harvested land. And I'm not saying everyone is a farmer, but I'm saying that I listened to her and the discipline of teaching me how to grow crops, harvest crops, freeze crops. I had chores, and that was very important to me as a person. It still is at the core of who I am. I I had a disciplined lifestyle. And then, of course, I love ballet, and that's discipline. Um, Beyond that, um, you know, I think that we have to look at the foster parents. They have to take care of themselves first because if if you can't be present, then you can't be present for the children. So, um... You know, I I try through my cherry to offer different services to our caregivers, even if it's like treating our foster mothers to the hair salon. Um, We try to provide um, all of the Thanksgiving food uh, needs. We work with um, uh, a variety of sororities, Sigma Gamma Rho, the Deltas, Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, and they help us organize the food bank, and then the food is delivered to our families um, to help them help the children. We identify age-appropriate gifts at Christmas. And, um, you know, some people might say, well, that's not a whole lot, but it's something. And I believe in taking care of your own corner first. Right. right. You said something that was powerful about the when you're alone, the alone time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We... Brian and I, we were teaching uh, Bible study mm-hmm. a couple of nights. Well, uh, we did it once a week at the detention center. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that the kids just, they were so anxious to learn. Mm-hmm. And they would ask questions that would just blow your mind because a lot of the questions they would ask, like, it's, I mean, it's really simple questions that let you know that they've probably never been in um in that type of environment right? Where, where a Bible and someone is teaching them because they were asking questions like, what does God look like? Mm-hmm. Where does he live? Where is he? Why can't we see him? You know, they would ask those type of questions. Mm-hmm. And one thing that uh, I wanted to ask you is when you were in your alone time, we all have it. Even we as adults. Yeah, right. And, and some of us have it right now, late at night. We have that, mm-hmm. that, that downtime when we are faced with life and what we're going to do and should I give up or what should I do, do you think that you're, you're the, the woman that raised you, do you think that they helped you as far as give you the strength and courage to say, you know what, I, I feel down now, but I got sure. to keep going? Yes. Sure. I mean, we have to – a mentor isn't going to walk around with a placard around their neck saying, I'm your mentor. We have an obligation as the mentees. To yeah. recognize when somebody's trying to teach us, and it's not always what we want to hear. Yeah. It really has to be about being open-minded and understanding that it's okay, we deserve to be loved, and sometimes a hug hurts because we're used to being angry. But we have to open ourselves up to trusting and to listening and to learning. And part of the learning for me was, you know, learning to... Um, appreciate the people um, and also to love myself um, and not to look at the circumstances that I came out of as my fault. Mm. It's all very important. Yes, it is. And another thing I wanted to say, too, you know, when we when we first got involved, it it I mean, I learned a lot, but I took a lot of hurt home with me, too. Yes. Because, and, and I mean, and I think 
um, I think that's one thing when people get involved. I don't think that they know the depths of what's really going on with these children because a lot of them have been molested and raped. Mm-hmm. And, and one one kid, uh, he saw his parents murder, and he was hiding in the closet. He was only about five years old. He hid. And the only reason they didn't get to him is because the gun that they was using it didn't have a silencer on it, and it made a lot of noise. So they knew that they only had a few couple of seconds or whatever to get out of the house, and he hid in the closet. And he saw that. So Terrifying. Yeah, and he is probably the meanest kid that you would ever meet. But before we finished with the Bible study, he was praying. He was mm-hmm. leading in prayer. Sure, because you're yeah. showing him that God is in him. Yes. That he yes. has... He has, he's part of, and when we are taught, that's part of the mentoring that we so richly deserve and need, that someone shows us or a group of people show us that we have it within ourselves, that we have something to offer, um, and that, you know, God is, the God is all around us and in us. And if no one teaches us how to pray to that and access that, how will we ever to know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need the mentoring. The mentoring is so very important. We have 513,000 foster children in care today, um, and the predominant population are African-American children, and beyond that, African-American boys who are in group homes. Um, and uh, we really have to address um, all of our children, uh, but we do have a disproportionate number of African-American children and Hispanic children in care. Mm. Yes, yes. Yes. You know, and and I wanted to ask you about, you know, a little bit about that. Let's talk about, you know, the fact that we have such a disproportionate, you know, disproportionate amount of African-American and, you know, minority children in Mm -hmm. foster care. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, I know in my in my walk of life, I see these children and I want to help them, and there's not enough people out there mm-hmm. that are foster parents, mm-hmm. you know. Would you encourage, you know, and, like, I have three children of my own, so it's not really that easy for me to, you know, go and say, hey, I want to get this whole family. Right. You know, because at times I've had, you know, two, three kids in my home, you know, that were in the um, – I was doing custody care, like when they were having a an issue and they needed to do a quick placement or something like that. But they placed awesome. them in my home, mm-hmm. you know. But it wasn't that easy to try to feed, you know, go from a family of five to a family of eight, mm-hmm. and you know, the state's not offering anything in, you know, in terms of compensation. Right, right. You know, you really do it out of your pocket, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those kids would come, and they would have nothing. I can remember one child; he had literally the clothes on his back and they were too small. So right. we spent about four or five hundred bucks just so he could have shoes and underwear and at least a week two weeks worth of clothing. Well, I think that, you know, how people can help, um, is number one, um, some families have the ability, which is, you know, extraordinary, um, to take children in emergency care. Um, but certainly with the Department of Children and Family Services, um, there is compensation in, involved for the care of the children. Of course, when I was in care, Agatha Armstead got $87 a month for my care. Of course, that is much different today, but not a whole lot different, but it's much different all the same. Um, and there are purchase orders, annual purchase orders, which um, allocate funds for foster children to um, purchase their back-to-school clothing and ancillary needs. Um, there are special needs children that um, the state offers um, uh, a different compensation, a different class of compensation for special needs children, and those are special families that take those children in because tremendous amounts of patients are required to take care of our foster children that are special needs. Um, there are um, a multitude of ways that 
we can interface. Um, we do need foster parents desperately. I want to give a number for our listeners to good, consider good. calling. It's one eight 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 seven nine nine kids with an S. One eight eight seven nine nine kids. Um, they can also log on to fostercaremonth.org, fostercaremonth.org. And, of course, I'm a national spokesperson on behalf of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, Casey Family Services, and also work with Casey Family Program. But if you go on to, if you Google the Annie E. Casey Foundation, that's Annie, the middle initial E, Casey Foundation, or Casey Family Services, um, that whole organization will pop up, and they are an extraordinary national program that has committed themselves to families and children um, and the welfare therein. Um, that was founded by the two brothers that founded United Parcel Service. Mm. A fascinating, um, uh, you know, philanthropy and entrepreneurship and, and what they did with, with that fortune. In part, yes. You know what? When you when you go into the foster care facility now, when you break that threshold, or when you're on your way there, you know, do you remember the little Victoria that was scared and or, or just? I mean, you know, does it take you back when you were there? When you go in and you see that little girl that reminds you of you? Do I mean, how do you deal with that? Well, I've been lecturing and visiting the children for 19 years, and um, now being on this New York Times book tour for the women who raised me, of course, the book tour is never about just going into bookstores exclusively. It's always about, I don't leave, I don't go on the road unless it has something to do with foster care, adoption, or children's issues, or um, it has to do with something in the book around what I do and what I come from. Mm. Um, it could be about financial literacy and how it's attained coming out of foster care. It could be about um, women. Um, it could be about the juvenile justice system. Um, it could be about just about anything that attaches itself to the to the stories of the people in the book. Because the book isn't only about my life. It's about uh, two dozen other women right. and other children that I interfaced with. Um, what do I think about? I think about the best and strongest comprehensive message I can deliver mm. authentically. And um, it requires honesty and openness and mm -hmm. just putting it on the table. And I open the dialogue up to... Um, uh, questions and answers, and I get all kinds of questions. And depending on who is in the room and the privacy of the group, right? Um, we go pretty far. Yeah, I know about that. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yes. It's important for them to hear that you can overcome, that you don't have to be entrenched in shame, and that you need to practice reciprocity. That's a big part of my message that as children they need to know now you've got to pass it forward. Mm -hmm. You've got to give back because getting out of self is a healing mechanism for all of us. Being that's a service. You know, it's funny because that's a big reason why Greg and I do what we do because, you know, I know for myself someone helped me when I was younger. You know, I, I came from that pretty much nuclear family, and then mm -hmm. I faced um, issues of my parents divorcing, and I really didn't have a true role model to look up to, right. and it was a good friend of my uncle's. I believe it was one of his best friends, mm -hmm. and I looked up to him, even mm -hmm. though I had, you know, several uncles, and, you know, I had two big brothers, but I always looked to him, and I asked him about questions, you know, and, you know, to this day, when I do talk to him, I let him know. I said, man, you just don't know what you did for me when I was little. Exactly. You know, and so, you know, it's great that, you know, we do teach them about reciprocity. When you learn something, you know, give back to somebody. I always say give, you know, the Bible says give and it shall be given. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even when I'm out there talking to people, I open a lot of myself up and the things that I've gone through 
you know, and the challenges that I faced and how I overcome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we really have awesome. to teach that. We really have to teach that. And the other thing, of course, that was, you know, important, really, I think really tantamount was that I had an interest in something, and it happened to be creative movement. And so my foster mother recognized that simply because of the holes in my sneakers. She would say, why is it that you have holes in your sneakers and none of the other children do? Tell me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. And when I showed her I was trying to stand secretly up on my toes in the sneakers, she was amazed that I had an idea of what it might look like. Mm. And she taught me the six rudimentary steps of classical ballet from a book. She found a book. Only this woman would have gone to this trouble. And she taught me as a senior citizen the six ballet positions. And that's what I went to the audition with, without leotards, without tights, without ballet slippers. I walked into that studio, and that teacher asked me to show her. I had no ballet clothes. We didn't know what they were. And when I showed her that I knew these rudimentary steps of classical ballet with the arm position, she was amazed. She said, this child has a scholarship. And she asked me, how did I learn? And I told her from a book from my grandmother, because I don't want to tell them my whole life story. Right. So I called Mrs. Armstead, my grandmother, in public. And um, you can't, we have to emphasize and underscore that people should not self-edit. I mean, I'm sure Agatha, after she had 10 children and grandchildren, great-grands, never imagined that she was going to be teaching me classical ballet in her living room. <laughs> but she did, and that was the gateway, the ballet world was the gateway. So what I have to say is that children, we have to look, we have to help them identify what their interests are. In my case, it was a woman, one woman, the power of one, recognizing that the holes in my sneakers were something else. Mm. And that's powerful. Yes, yeah. it is. I was just, I just wrote that to Brian, how powerful. <laughs> okay. The, okay. So the power of one, we have to encourage arts in schools. We have to encourage artistic after-school programs because that is the cathartic process that many of, it's the only process that many of our youth have. You know, we're we're failing in schools. A lot of our children are being graduated systematically with a third and fourth grade reading ability and mathematic ability. And we have to address this, especially in our urban and poverty-stricken areas where we do have high concentrations of foster children, and they're not getting the types of academic attention that they should. And fine arts are a way to teach them um, not only about mathematics through music and learning through dance and painting, and it's all part of the catharsis for inordinate pain. Mm -hmm. So I fight for arts, and Americans for the Arts is one organization that you can log on to, especially for grant possibilities, but Americans for the Arts mm -hmm. um, is an organization that I encourage people to log on to. Yes, yes. Mr. Well, we have... Uh, quite a few callers on the line, and I'd like to go to them. I'm sure they have some great questions for you. Okay. All right, so let's go to the caller in the 770 area code. Caller, are you there? That's me. Hey. Hi. Hey, Dee Stewart. Hi, Dee. Hi. My question is, I, I have been thinking about um, foster care, or adopting for a while, um, Greg. As Greg and Brian know, I have I have postpartum heart failure, so I can't have any more kids. Mm -hmm. But I always thought about um, becoming a foster parent because I have a cousin. I had a cousin who um, was adopted into the family, who was a foster, uh, became, who was in the foster care system, and I have a couple of friends who became mm -hmm. wards of the state. Mm -hmm. And and I, you were speaking earlier, right? I was speaking earlier. I heard, yes. I was and um, I was a troop leader, um, a Girl Scout troop leader here in Atlanta where we actually support a children's shelter here. Mm -hmm. um, yes. But what I've, um, I've, I hear more of don't do it. It's going to be hard. They're, they're 
even at an early age, they're hard and difficult to to be able to um, be a parent to. And I I don't want to believe that, but I don't know. I I don't have any any except for my cousin who raised um, my other cousin. Well, I mean, I don't have children much. are different. I mean, there are no two children that are alike, and just in Orthodox families or in the nuclear family, they have their issues too with their children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we might not want to pigeonhole all foster children as difficult, or all children as passive, or what. There, it's a it's a very blended group of children in care, and children come into care for a variety of reasons. They might have had corporate parents, maybe recreationally did drugs and found themselves addicted. So those children came into care. Sometimes children are orphaned and come into care due to a car accident or or other. Some children are brought into foster care because of violence and neglect. And so there are a number of circumstances that bring children into care. And... Um, all the children obviously need different, different children need different needs. And every circumstance is going to be different. And sure, some some of the children will need more than others. And sure, some of the circumstances will be much more challenging than others. But I would hope that during the training process, um, and once the foster parent in your case would be licensed, you would be very specific about what you can do and what you can't do. And I would like to believe that your request would be honored and respected. Like, for instance, I know foster parents that just take babies. They take babies until, preemies, until they can be placed. So there's different ways that you can work with the system. Yes, I know a particular foster family that only takes teenagers that are in high school. See, that's amazing. You know, and because those tend to be the hardest to place. They are. They say that they would focus on getting these kids prepared for the real world. That's right. Because what we know from uh, foster parenting and, you know, being around foster parenting is that once these kids turn 18, you know, they're pretty much uh, let on, on their own. You know, they give them a stipend if they meet certain requirements. But they're really, they really haven't been taught how to be adults. And because yes. they've lived as wards of the state and they've been in that particular system for so long, if they didn't, if they didn't live with a one particular family for a while, you know, where they could learn how to be a part of the family, they're pretty much still lost in the system. Twenty to 25,000 foster youth emancipate every year. And where um, I've not seen the measurements, which is to say, I'm not trying to say that they don't exist. I haven't seen the numbers. But um, I would think because there is a need for family that there have been many foster children that have gone right into the military um, seeking out more family. Um, because the military has that kind of attraction where you're a part of something. Right. And um, there's no telling how many soldiers have served um, who are in foster care. Um, And those who come back and don't come back to family, and that's a whole other added um, complication because uh, they have to work through that, um, returning home. So... Um, you're absolutely right. Um, they they do emancipate. A lot of our youth don't finish high school. There are stats. It's, it's alarming what the stats are in terms of children who don't finish high school, much less college. And those that do get accepted into college and push the extra mile and might have someone pushing for them, but not in every case, we have seen where foster youth obviously get into college, but then some of them decide not to stay because they feel so out of their zone. Mm -hmm. Um, They feel isolated. Um, They don't have the social discretionary money to be social. Um, You know, when you go to college, you might want an extra uh, bit of change to go to the movies and go out, and and there is no extra money. So 
some of them feel so out of place and they're not mentored in that new experience. It's hard enough if you come from an orthodox, an orthodox family. And these kids are doing it on their own, so mm-hmm. a lot of them drop out, unfortunately, after they've worked so hard to get into college. And so I always like to talk about mentors for college students, um, a place where they can go on the weekends. They have a place to go for holidays because we forget when we emancipate out of foster care, Many of us, um, many of us, don't have any place to go for Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holidays. And people forget we really do want to be a part of that Easter dinner, and we do want to go to church with family. And there is, there is some movement in these areas where host families identify the children. The problem is the children don't want to tell their business. Right. Right. So then it's hard to identify unless they, unless they confide in a roommate or someone, and then typically a family from the friends, ends up sort of adopting the child right. to participate. If they're lucky. If they're lucky. Right. You know, and and I remember um, the one thing that I learned when I was uh, training to become a foster parent is that they said, don't get attached to the children. <laughs> I know. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Yeah. How can you not? Yeah. You know, how can you say you're going to put your heart and soul into the life of a child and not attach yourself to that child, you know? Yeah, well, that's antiquated thinking. I I, I just never, um, I was with families that that did not subscribe to that. Um, Agatha certainly didn't. And um, I was loved. I can say that, honestly. And and it really made all the difference. Um, You know, it it just is necessary to, to, to be a part um, of life and what happens is if we don't teach love how are how are these children supposed to love the children they have and so what we what we've gotten into is a very dangerous cycle of babies having babies mm-hmm. and those babies going back into the foster care system and those teenage parents going on welfare and it's a vicious cycle that has to be broken. And now with this new whole wave, this craze of teenage girls making packs, having babies, I mean, no one is telling these children that, okay, after you buy the cute Nike sneakers, because this is what I'm hearing out there, well, we want to buy the baby little Nike sneakers and little baby clothes, and so there's a living doll. Mm-hmm. But there's this obvious false understanding of what family really is and that this is a serious matter and that this is not a celebrity matter because a celebrity sister had a baby. Oh, yes. So (laughs) we have to really wrap our brain around what we're going to do about this new wave of what's considered cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we, the end thing to do now? The end thing, and you know, I, I don't know that every one of these girls that are part of this new wave getting pregnant um, are going to be able to keep those children ultimately. And are their parent were their parents ready to keep the children? And how many of those children are going to go into the foster care system? Right. We have a lot of work to do, but I'm hoping that at the executive order, um, when this presidential election. Is, is defined um, that our president will put children at the top of the list and not at the bottom, if at all. Hmm. We'll put it back on its feet and put it where it needs to be um, at the very highest level of consideration with leadership like Marion Wright Edelman with the Children's Defense Fund and Hillary Clinton uh, who's sunk in 30 years of her life behind effective legislative change and um, people who really care about children in this country. Mm. Mm. All right, we're going to go to the next caller, and let's try the caller in the 312 area code. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Well, first, let me start by saying I just think you are the model lady. So <laughs> I I have always adored you. I just think you are fabulous. Thank uh, you. 
So my question is, I'm actually, um, in, I grew up in performing arts, mm-hmm. and I am an artist, and I teach art to, to youth uh, through my church, and I mentor through the community. I'm in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And beyond children that are in the foster care system, the average kid in, in, in our black communities in Chicago mm-hmm. um, are just not... They're they're not uh, they they're not in touch with the culture and their heritage, and the young girls are not refined. And um, I'm wondering. I, I just think it's fantastic um, that you've written this book, which I did not know about until today. Mm-hmm. And I've gone on your your website, and I see you'll be in Chicago at the end of this month. Do you now, where have am any- I going to be? Oh, well, maybe it's not up to date. But no, no, it is. It is. But I <laughs> okay. travel. I've been on the road for 15 months. So okay. You... Well, July 23rd, it says you'll be here in Chicago at McCormick Place. Okay. Well, now we're letting the listeners know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I am have any plans to expand this vision, your vision, um, uh, specifically your organization, is there any way that the women here that I work with can tap into um, what you're doing where you are and bring it well, here to Chicago? Well, sure you can. I mean, my idea is not novel. It really is about not reinventing the wheel. We have enough um, outlets to partner with. And so what I would like to see is if you could identify a perhaps performing arts school mm-hmm. and challenge them to give you two scholarships. Start small. Mm, okay. Two mm-hmm. scholarships. And if they say no, then don't let them off the hook. Say, what about partial scholarships? Mm-hmm. And have your church raise the other half of the tuition. But before you do that, you have to identify the families. And when I say identify the families, you have to make sure that that foster parent or parent has the ability to get that child to the classes because you don't want to set yourself up to fail your pilot. You want to make sure that you have children that are passionate and so are the caregivers because those are the kinds of parents I have. So you really can't do the Raul Foster Children's Positive Plan unless the parents are intrinsic to its success. They have to get the children to the classes. I'll find the funds, but you have to show up. Okay. And that's important. So I I would start there. Um, Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's so many other ways that you can interface Mm -hmm. with the community. You talk about the refinement of the girls. Um, They have to be introduced to a different way. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the media isn't showing them. Technology Mm -hmm. isn't showing them. So perhaps it's something that you organize at your church and invite them to one Saturday. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a great start, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. Yes, Carla, thank you for calling in. Thank you. Uh, Victoria, it sounds like you're starting something here. Well, <laughs> you know, why not? I That's mean, right. everyone right. has something in their backyard to offer. Yes, yes. I, I think when, uh, and Brian can attest to this, and I know that you can, when you're talking with youth, you cannot sugarcoat anything with them because they can see it. Yeah. And they will cut you off if you're being <laughs> fake with them. <laughs> yes, they will. I mean, they will cut you off to the point like, okay, it, it, it's like they're testing you. And that's something that Brian and I, we learned when we went in. Mm-hmm. They have this tough exterior up, mm-hmm. and, and they're just being, you think they're being rude, but that's their defense mechanism. you know. Exactly. Yes. But once you get past that and they see that you're genuine, Mm-hmm. They they will cling to you, and you will see a love coming from them. That's just it, it. It's amazing. I can't describe how awesome it is for one of the kids to let their guards down and let you in. But you also have to be um, remind. You have to remind yourself that I'm not going to let this child down, because if you do, he's probably not going to let anybody else in. 
That's true. They also like to feel, I know how I felt. I, I really believe that part of my dancing success had to do with someone being proud of me. Yes. Yeah. And whether it was my teacher, I wanted to do better for my teacher, and I definitely wanted to do better for my my foster mother and how hard she worked. And you have to give a child a goal to work towards something. It's very important. Mm. And, yeah. and, and you're right. Go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. No, I was just thinking, you know, that was something that I've seen so often that when you finally give a child a chance, an opportunity to be who they think they are supposed to be. Yeah. Now, I can remember there was a foster child that my mother-in-law had taken care of for a while, and when she arrived, she thought that she was a horse. Wow. You know, and people laughed, but that was her way of shielding herself. You would ask her a question, she would neigh and she would snort and everything else when she didn't want to answer. Mm-hmm. You know, she would talk normally, but when she got upset, she says, I'm a horse now. And mm-hmm. she would start neighing and weighing and everything else and galloping around the house. Wow. Well, everyone has their own way of, of dealing. I mean, that was her way of dealing. Other people just shut down. Mm-hmm. Other Other people... You act out um, in different ways and, you know, I mean, sexually, um, provocative um, behavior, uh, drug culture, I mean, and violence. You know, and it was like by the time she left, you know, this child was just acting completely normal. She didn't want to leave, you know, but her foster family felt that she should, she would, she should be with, you know, and she was a she was a Caucasian child, mm-hmm. and so they felt that she should be with a Caucasian family versus a black family. You know, but to this day, that child will call here, and she still sees us in the streets and gives us gives us the biggest hugs and tells us how much she misses her misses our family. You know, because she opened up because we showed her the love that she wasn't getting everywhere else. Well, and then you bring up another issue around race and children. Uh, my feeling is that the idea of leaving a child, whether the child becomes a border baby in the hospital, border babies are children that are left in a hospital, oftentimes slipping through the cracks or they are too fragile to leave initially, but then they find we find that the children are living in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a, a rarely spoken about culture that is going on. Um, but in terms of the race piece, the idea of leaving children, whether in group homes or uh, orphanages, people don't like that word, but we did have them, and because of their race, um, doesn't make sense to me because love is love. And a baby is not thinking about what color you are when they need to be fed, Absolutely. when they need to be hugged, and when they need their diapers changed. Mm. So... And that doesn't even that doesn't go for babies. I mean, we all need love and we all need care. And that first three weeks is vital to our detachment and attachment issues. Mm. Well, Miss Miss, well, um, if you could give out your contact information, I, well, I guess they can go to your website at VictoriaRowell dot com. That's right. It'll yes. link to the Rowell Foster Children's Positive Plan, um, and uh, would love to hear from. Uh, our listeners, um, I know a lot of the listeners are wondering if Drusilla's coming back to the Young and the Restless, <laughs> and I'll just break the ice and say, you know, uh, Sony, uh, Sony Pictures Television owns the show, and um, I guess they will make that final decision, but, um, you know, the most important thing to me is getting important stories on the air and, um, you know, the foster care adoption storyline has been running now for five years. And what I'd like to see Young and the Restless do beyond keeping that storyline running is to bring back the black family that once existed on that show. Wow. Um, since African Americans are the predominant population that watch the Young and the Restless. In the million, 25 million people watch that show a week. Mm. And we need to bring back the black family that represents the predominant population of people that watch the show. 
Right. That's what I would like to see happen, among some other things, some diversity behind the camera, and then perhaps Drusilla could emerge. But you have to stand for something or lie down for anything. That's right. That's right. Everybody in the chat room was going crazy. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, when I told my mother that you were going to be on the show, she's, that's the first question she asked. Is Drusilla coming back? I know she's going to come back and break up the wedding. Well, you know, anything is possible, but I was always, tell mother that I was always about diversifying. Um, I think The Young and the Restless is a fabulous show, but it's so fabulous that it really needs to get black writers on the show and black directors and black producers and a black hair and makeup team, and none of that exists. Hmm. So I really want to see the show be all that it can be. It shouldn't be the young and the rest of us. Mm. It needs to be the young and the restless and respect all of us. Mm. But you know what? We knew. I, I was talking with Brian, and I said, Brian, you know what? Victoria looked like she looks as if she don't play. <laughs> she, she looks tough. You look tough. And you look, I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of people say we have uh, what we allow ourselves to have, and you know, mm-hmm. because we don't have this high standard for ourselves. And it just looks like you have that, that you're just not going to accept anything from anybody, well, just any you, old thing. You know, it really is about the women who raised me. And I can't have spent 18 years in a welfare system and not emerge as an activist. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's really about... I've had I've had 18 years in daytime. I'm trying to prepare for the next. Mm. And if I'm the only one marching, that's hard to bring about. So, you know, I appeal to all the listeners, you know, write in youngandtherestless.com and let them know that you want to see that family. Back together. Where's Mamie? Where's the father? Where's little Nate? Where's Olivia? Where Where's Keith Hamilton Cobb? Where is that black family that represents millions of black viewers that watch that show? Mm-hmm. Where are we? And why does everybody have to be mulatto to represent black? Don't get me started. Oh, we won't. I'm on, won't. I'm on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I'm in the chat room and. Uh, one of our chat room friends is saying that they thank you for suggesting that they host a college student. I think you started a movement in our chat room here. Cause Good. They're, they're Good. really talking about doing that. Good. And not only a foster child, but understand those of us who come from an impoverished background, we may not know which fork to pick up. And we need someone to remind us to put the napkin in our lap and to for the gentleman to stand up and push the chair in for the lady. We need that mentoring, that refinement that the lady was talking about earlier. But somebody has to show us not to wear spandex, not to wear a belly shirt to the dinner, not to wear all the chains and 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 and, and that's fine. And it all has its place. But somebody has to show us boundaries. Mm. Yes. So help us, please. <laughs> wow. We'll do our part. Okay. <laughs> we'll All right. We'll do our part. You know, well, we want to thank you again for coming on the show. It's just not enough time to talk to you. <laughs> We'd love for you to come back sometime and just share, you know, your insights and the things that you're doing with your foundation. Thank because you. we think it is just absolutely wonderful and awesome. Yes, it is. You know, I want to thank you for having me on the show, and I want to do a shout-out to 100 Black Men. Um, the National Conference just had me, and I also want to do a shout-out to the National Lynx Conference in Seattle, Washington. I want to thank the Lynx ladies for mentoring me. Um, and 100 Black Men, I was a, a person that grew up fatherless, but I have to tell you, I was so embraced, and there was so much knowledge and wisdom and kindness and paternity in that room. I just want to thank both groups just recently um, uh, and the links giving me that Elizabeth, that Elizabeth Catlett Award. It just meant a great deal. So I want to thank my community for embracing me. Yes, yes. Those are two awesome foundations. 
Yes, they are. And great honors go to great people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but again, great. Uh, VictoriaRoel.com. The book is called The Women Who Raised Me. Go out on Amazon.com. You can get get it from the website, I believe, also. It's on our site as well. It's on Barnes our and site. Barnes & Noble, Borders, and our black bookstores, please. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Books and a million. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. We had a ball tonight. And, you know, I know that there's someone out here that listened to the show or will listen to the show tomorrow, you know, through their MySpace or whatever. You know, get involved. You yes. Know, what Victoria is doing is just so awesome and wonderful, and we need more people. You know, it's great when you have a celebrity that, you know, can do this, but we need the people right there in the local community to do it. Yes. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you, good evening, and God bless you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.